Good morning. It is such a delight to be here. <clears throat> Pastor Steve and I have been friends for a few years now. I have heard of Great Vic Baptist Church, so many different things, and it's a delight for me to see with my own eyes that God is truly at work here in the ways that I am hearing. And so thank you for having me. I've done ministry in England and Scotland for over a decade, but this is my first trip to Northern Ireland. So uh, this was a real excitement and delight for me to be able to be here and meet many of you. So thank you for having me. Uh, I want to ask you to turn, uh, reopen to Titus chapter 2, if you haven't done that just yet. Titus chapter 2. And as you do that, I would like to share with you that I, with the ministry that I get to do now as a pastor for 25 years, and now I serve full-time with a ministry called Practical Shepherding, and because of this ministry, I'm able to, to travel a lot of different places, like here. And I work with several thousand pastors and churches in our ministry. And I have noticed a trend that is quite interesting and, and even quite troubling as I've worked with all kinds of different churches. Here's two main kinds of churches that I have worked with both back home in America and North America and then in other countries as well. The first church is a church that would be seen as an older established church, maybe an old historic church that at one time was thriving and vibrant, but eventually hard times fall on that church for different reasons. And oftentimes that church is made up of just one generation, the older generation. And then a second kind of church that I have worked with is a younger church. A lot of times church plants or churches that are just a few years old. And oftentimes these are churches that start because they go to a certain area of a city. They want to reach a certain type of person that is usually similar to them, young professionals. And they'll begin to build a new church around a younger generation. And they're all people who are very similar to them. And there is a fascinating dynamic I have noticed by working with these two churches. They both feel the hindrance to the ministry that they want to accomplish is the other one. In other words, the older generation looks at the younger generation and says, they're the problem. And the younger generational church looks at the older generation and says, yeah, they're the problem. That's why we're trying to build a church just on one generation, people who are just like us. And I want you to know, I, I see that in the New Testament, the Bible gives a very different design what the church is supposed to be. It's actually supposed to be made up of multiple generations. And we actually get a clear picture of this in the book of Titus. That's why I'm excited that we are spending time in the book of Titus both this morning and this evening, God willing. Because God gives us a very clear blueprint about what the local church is supposed to look like in any country, in any culture, and any time in history. Isn't that helpful that the Bible kind of cuts through all of those things and gives us one blueprint for us to be able to pursue within our own context? And that's what we see here. And we're going to look at Titus 2 this morning because Titus 2 is the chapter in Titus that addresses the whole church. Every member, every kind of member in the church. And so when your pastor and I were talking, I thought Titus 2 would be the best to do in the morning because there'll be something for everybody in the church in this passage. And so I hope you potentially noticed that even as we, were, as we were reading through it. Let me give a little background as we're entering into the book of Titus. It's three chapters. It's the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, who is his young pastoral protege. 
in the ministry. And he's writing to Titus, and if you look in chapter 1, verse 5, we find the purpose of this letter. He says, I left you in Crete so that you might put what remains in order. So Paul is writing to Titus saying, continue to establish these churches and make them true, healthy churches and establish them well. So in chapter 1, which we'll look at this evening, the first thing he says is, this is who should lead in the church. Can we agree that's probably a good place to start? Is who should lead in a church when it's being established. So he talks about the work of a pastor. And then he talks about what pastors do. And then he talks about who the pastors actually protect the church from. That's all in chapter 1, and we're going to look at that this evening. But there is something striking about these rebellious men in the second half of chapter 1 that, that Paul tells Titus the pastors are supposed to protect the church from. He describes them this way. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their deeds. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their deeds. So the main idea of the book of Titus, this whole letter, is that the gospel that we believe, the good news of Jesus, will affect our behavior. So that's the main idea of Titus, if you want to write that down. The gospel we believe will affect our behavior. And so we see this weave in and out all throughout these three chapters in particular. And we come to Titus chapter 2 and we see the very same thing. That the gospel of Jesus Christ we believe will affect our behavior. Chapter 1 talks about how this works with the pastors and then we come to chapter 2 and Paul shifts in what he writes to Titus and addresses all the different kinds of people that would be found in a local church, which is you all. So hopefully God has something for each one of us in this text this morning. There are two part, main parts to the book of Titus, chapter 2. So if you'll take your eyes to chapter 2 that we had read a few moments ago. Part 1 is verses 1 through 10. So take your eyes there. Part 1, these are the different categories, if you noticed, of the different people in part of these churches and the roles that each of these groups are called to play. So you maybe noticed there were different groups, categories of groups that were described there in verses 1 through 10. That's intentional. And everybody in the church would somehow fall into one of these categories. And part two then is verses 11 through 15. Take your eyes to that next part. This describes what the gospel is and where the empowerment comes for those church members to do what Paul describes there. So it's really important that we see these two parts together because we might be tempted to read verses 1 through 10 and stop there and think, I just have to try really hard in my own strength to do what that says. But most of us will fail at that. All of us will actually try to fail at doing something like that. So verses 11 through 15 actually describe what the gospel is and how each one of us are empowered to do what verses 1 through 10 tells us. So it's important to see these two parts that go together. Two more just broad observations about this, this whole chapter before we begin to dig into some of the, the individual verses. All the categories of people that are listed, so look at verses 1 through 10 again. All those categories of people are covered. And we're going to look at those categories in a moment, but I just want you to know, every single one of you will fall into one of those categories or more. So know that it's all covered in this list that's given. But here's a second observation. All of these categories of people that are listed in verses 1 through 10 are, are assumed to be in each church. 
Did you notice that Paul didn't write to Titus and start chapter 2 with, so if there are older men in a church, have them do this. If there are younger women in the church, have them do this. He's writing to Titus. He's not even giving a, a preface. He's assuming these people, all these different categories, are in each one of these churches. And that each one of them have a essential role to play in the church. And if one of these groups does not exist in a church, then there is a major gap in someone to serve in a faithful way in the church. That's why it's supposed to be multi-generations in a church. All kinds of different people. So there are two main aspects of God's design for the local church I want us to look at from Titus chapter 2. Two main aspects. Number one is the priorities of church members. The priorities of church members, and then second is the power of church members. How are we empowered to be faithful church members in a local church? But let's first look at the the priorities, and the priorities focus on the different categories listed. So I want to break these categories up for you in three different categories. Here's the first one. Old and young. Old and young. Did you notice that old and young were both mentioned and assumed to be in every one of these churches in Crete that Titus is helping to establish. Look down in verses 2 and 3 with me. The older, verses 2 and 3, are to teach and train the younger. The younger are mentioned in verses 4 through 8. Both categories are there. One of us, we fall into one of these two categories, I would assume. You get to decide, by the way, which one you're in. So have fun with that. But nonetheless, we fall into one of these two categories. You're either in the older or the younger side. Look at verse 4. This, to teach and train the younger, is specifically mentioned for the women. Older, verse 4, older women are to train the younger women. And this is also strongly implied by, for, the, for the older men are implied to do the same with the younger men. That, that's implied all throughout these verses, not to mention that Paul, an older man, is writing to Titus, teaching and instructing a younger man on how to fulfill this pastoral calling that he has. So there are old and young, and they are called to teach and train, the older teach, to, to teach and train the younger. That is the first group, old and young. We all fall into one of those categories. Category number two is men and women. Did you notice that also? Men and women, scattered all throughout verses one through eight. You see that, that older men... Older women, younger men, younger women, another category each one of us fits into one way or another. Now I want to highlight something about context here. What Paul writes to Titus here and describes about women and the important role that they have in the local church, this actually would have been scandalous in the first century because women were treated as second class citizens in this world until the church came along. And all of a sudden, Paul writes here to Titus and implies women are just as valuable as the men in the local church. And I want to highlight that here. Because as I get to travel and work with a lot of pastors and churches, I meet a lot of women who feel devalued in their church. And so ladies, I just want to encourage you that according to this passage, especially the context and the way that Paul writes this in the first century, You are just as important as anyone in this church for this church to thrive. Different roles that men and women have in the church, that's what it's highlighting also, but it doesn't change. This church cannot thrive 
without you. Find your place here. Serve with all of your might. Serve the Lord when he needs you here. And I want to encourage you to step into that role. Talk to your pastors and your leaders. Find out what ways that you can serve. But you are essential for the thriving of this church and any church for that matter. Notice in verse 2, it also talks about the men and how they can pursue really a godly character and example. And it does the same for the women. The men are to be self-controlled, dignified, sound in faith, faith, speech, and love in verse 2. Women are called to to care for the family at home and be kind, teaching what is good. There's descriptions of things that we are to pursue to be able to fulfill God's call in our lives and in the church. I think it also highlights, interesting how, how Paul highlights addressing men and women, almost acknowledging that there's maybe some sinful struggles that men have that women don't struggle with as much. There's sinful struggles women have that maybe men don't struggle with as much. So he's digging into some of the specifics, acknowledging we are all different, but we all have a key role to play in a local church. And that's true for every single one of you, whether you're older or younger or a man or a woman. Here's the third category. And we see this in verses 9 and 10, if you'll take your eyes in. That's bond servants and masters. Now, in my study, there seems to be no really modern equivalent to this bond servant-master relationship that we find in the first century as it's being written here. But here's probably the closest equivalent, and that is to a a boss-employee type relationship. Uh, Because there's all kinds of, there's authority built into this relationship, But there's also a lot of complexities around this bond-servant-master relationship that is highlighted here. It's why he highlights it in how both of these groups are supposed to be in the same church, loving and serving one another. Because there were were certain prejudices built into this relationship. There There was socioeconomic, different socioeconomic statuses that exist in this particular relationship. I think here's the point of verses 9 and 10, being in this list and having these categories. The rich and the poor are supposed to be in the same church. The somebodies and the nobodies of society are actually supposed to be in the the same church. The least of these and the greatest of these are supposed to be all in the same church. I think that's the point. Verses 9 and 10 really rounds out this idea that all kinds of people are to be in a church. That's God's design. And all of us have, in our differences, have a role to play. So every church member, even here, has a place and a role in God's design. And it doesn't matter. Here's the beautiful thing about it. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or how gifted you are. God's design is that every single one of you have a key role to play for this church to thrive. So that's the priorities of church members. How are we to pursue our place Enroll. But the second thing I want to look at this morning is the, the power of church members. How do we play those roles? You're sitting there thinking, oh, great, okay, I see I'm included in this, but how do I know what that is, and, and how do I know I'm able to do it? The first thing to highlight as we consider this, God brings old, young men, women, people from all different backgrounds together in the same church. There's one problem with doing that. Something has to unite you. I don't know about you, but anytime you bring a bunch of people together where I'm from who are different from one another and don't understand the other, 
There's a lot of conflict that can come from that. There's a lot of fights that can come. There's, there's a lot of misunderstandings that can come from that. How do you bring all these different kinds of people together? Well, that's why verses 11 through 15 are so crucial to have in this passage. And you notice that these mentioned earlier, these two parts must come together. The different groups of people and their roles, they might be tempted to think they had just accomplished this in their own might, so we do it in our own strength. Or you try to do this and think we'll just all get along, but just because. But we actually have to have something that unites us, and that one thing is the power of the gospel at work in each one of our hearts. That's what unites you and brings you together. Look down at verse 11 with me and we see this. So, and think of this, what happens when we bring together all these different groups of people together? And the mess that could be in all of our differences and prejudices and struggles? Verse 11, we won't be able to. No church can be united when you bring all kinds of different people together. Unless, verse 11, the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And I think we need to see that all people as all kinds of people. All different kinds of people. The gospel has the power to bring together the, most, the, the greatest of enemies who would come together united in Christ and not just along, but would lovingly sacrifice and care for each other because of the work, the transformative work that Christ does in our hearts. So this is what the gospel does for us. And we see all of this in these last verses, in verses 11 through 14. The first thing is God, the gospel, it saves us. That's the first thing that Paul highlights to Titus in how these groups are brought together. Look down at verse 11. The grace of God appeared bringing what? Salvation. It brought salvation. We all need salvation. We're separated from God because of our sins. And we cannot get to God on our own. We're all sinners in darkness in a fallen world. And we cannot save ourselves. So what must happen? God had to intervene. He had to pursue us. And He did. That's what verse 11 is saying is so significant. The grace of God appeared bringing salvation. We do not save ourselves. God saves us when He pursues us, and then we by faith place our hope and trust and faith upon Christ alone. And that's what he describes takes place here. Look at verse 14. It's Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us. Jesus Christ came to redeem us. It's through him alone that we are saved. And that's what brings all these groups of people together in one church and unifies them. The gospel also transforms us. Look, look it down at these verses again. That, uh, when a sinner turns from their sins, they trust in Christ by faith. They are saved. They are redeemed. They are reborn. The Holy Spirit then now indwells us and does what? The Holy Spirit transforms us on the inside. Makes us new people. It makes us different. It makes us able to be able to love people we would normally not be able to love. And that's the work of the Spirit. Look at verse 14. We are transformed from all lawlessness and to purify, and to purify a people is what he is doing. Verse 12. We are changed to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, 
to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Do you remember the main idea of Titus? The gospel we believe will affect our behavior. It changes us. And it allows us to be able to come together with all kinds of different people. And then the gospel of Jesus renews us. Look at verse 14 again. Jesus redeems us for a purpose. Who gave himself for us to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we are saved, we're transformed as a people, and we are made into the people of God. People love to say to everyone in the world, we're, 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 all, we're all children of God. And that sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds inclusive. <clears throat> it's just not true. According to this, God is making a people through the work of His Son, Jesus. And when we are redeemed and we're transformed through the blood of Christ, <clears throat> we become a part of God's family. We become the people of God. And the people of God, I'm so excited about what is happening here to see the, the plans for the building project. And I, I thank God for that. And I, I pray that this goes in, in such an incredibly helpful way and reaches this city and the world for Christ. But the wonderful thing is, is, is you don't have to wait for that building to, to be the people of God. You already are. This group of people is the people of God. It's not a building ultimately. It's people. Look down at verse 13. He is building a people who wait for the blessed hope of Jesus to return. And while we wait, what are we supposed to do? Verse 14. We're to be zealous for good works. The good works don't save us. We already know how we are, we are found salvation. But the good works is what we are to engage in as transformed followers of Jesus. And that's what we do until Jesus returns for us. What are those good works? Take your eyes back up to verses 1 through 10. Those are the good works that he's describing and how each one of those groups of people accomplished that. So for the remainder of our time, I would like to give you five ways that this church, Great Vic Baptist Church, can embrace this design. What does this design look like for each of you? If every one of you falls into a category in some way, how does it fit in your life? So I'm going to give you five ways if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write, write these down. Number one, the older are to teach and mentor the younger. The older are to teach and mentor the younger. We see this taken straight out of those first eight verses of Titus chapter 2. And I want you to know that throughout my pastoral ministry, I had the privilege to care for some wonderful older saints in our church. And they taught me a lot. And one of the things that they taught me, I went to a church that would, had, had existed for a long time, and I had a lot of older members that had been members for many, many years, decades. And as I heard their stories, they began to tell me that they were the ones that ran all the ministries 50 years ago, 60 years ago. But because they've gotten older, they physically could not do the ministries they used to be able to do. And they shared with me that they didn't know where they had a place. They felt useless in the church. And it was really helpful to learn that from that, that that's why they, they had been struggling with, with the church and what's, what's going on. I wonder if some of you who are older here, who've been members a long, long time here, maybe feel the same way. 
that you are the one that used to run all the th- ministries here. You remember the, the years where so much was happening, and now that you can't run those ministries anymore, you question whether you have a place. And I just want you to know that was something really helpful to learn from some of the, the older Christians in my churches that I pastored. And it's okay. That's what happens. But I want you to know that Titus chapter 2 shows us that even if you can't physically do the ministries that you used to do, there's a really important role you still play here. And that is to teach and mentor the younger in the church. It's really clear that's what, that's what the call is here. And I want to encourage you that, that this is easier to do than, than you might think. It's simply to pursue the younger, to spend time with them, to, to pray with them, invite them over to your home, to pray, read scripture together, get to know them, hear about their life. If they don't respond well to you when you try to pursue them, well, we're young and foolish. We need to know and learn that we need to learn from you. So, Did you notice I just put myself in the younger crowd just then? The older to teach and mentor the younger. And older men and women in the room, this is an essential role for you. Churches cannot thrive without the older teaching and imparting the wisdom and the experience that you have to them. And younger in the room, you need to know that if you do not take advantage of learning from these older Christians who've walked with Jesus for longer than you've been alive, you will hit a point in your life one day where you will realize you have missed out. So older members, pursue the younger. It's a role you can play until the day you go to be with Jesus, and it's an important role. So that's the first way. Second way, the younger are to learn from and care for the older. The younger are to learn from and care for the older. If you're younger in this room or put yourself in the younger category, I want you to know it is, your, it is the first way to think wrongly about this that you don't think you have anything to learn from the older generation in this church. Now, we could probably all agree on something. They probably cannot help you fix your iPhone. But that's okay. You can help them fix theirs, probably. But I guarantee you that there is tons of things to learn from the older members of this church. I had the privilege of pastoring a woman. Her name was Tilly Roberts. Tilly lived to be 106 years old. And she was an amazing woman. She had this, just her mind, a sharp wit, all the way up to the point where she died and went to be with Jesus. She drove a car until she was 103 years old. And when she stopped driving at 103, we said, Tilly, that's probably a good idea at this point. We had a special parking place for her, by the way. You have the easiest place where you could pull in and then pull out and be able to get and not, not have, be in any danger. And I learned so much from Tilly. And I want you to know, I spent a ton of time at Tilly with, her, with, with Tilly at her home, talking with her and hearing about her life. And I just want you to know, she did not teach me any different theological views about anything. You know, she didn't teach me anything new about the atonement. She didn't change my end times view. But I learned a lot as a young man, as a young pastor, about life, about marriage, about suffering and walking with Jesus through suffering. I learned a lot from her. She lived to be 106. She was widowed in her 60s and she never remarried, so she practically lived another life as a widow. 
And I learned so much from her. There was a time where there's a group of ladies she spent time with. There's about five or six ladies, and they spent time to get, had lunch regularly. They all got into their 90s, and they couldn't go to lunch anymore because nobody could drive, and it was a bad idea probably for Tilly to drive them all. So, I, so there was periodically I would get the, the, the bigger car that our family had, and I would borrow it for the day, and I would drive, and I would go around and pick all these ladies up and load them up into the van and take them to lunch somewhere so they could all go to lunch together. And I'd be, I'd be with them, and they always wanted to go to the same place. And it's a place, you, I don't know if you've heard of it in America, it's called Cracker Barrel. Has anybody heard of Cracker Barrel before? Okay, a few people. We're sitting there waiting for our food. We order, and in, at Cracker Barrel, the, the things hanging all around the walls in every Cracker Barrel are old antique farm tools. Now, I'm a city kid, so it kind of freaked me out a little bit when I would go to those restaurants and see all those antique farm tools. Tilly sat and explained to me what every one of those tools were because she grew up on a farm, and she was old enough to remember when all those different tools were being made. It was fascinating. Where else am I going to learn something from them in that way? Younger Christians in the room, there's a wealth of things to learn from the older. Take time to invest to learn from them and then care for them as the, as the torch gets passed to you in whatever God has for this church in the future. Number three, be content-driven with your music. Be content-driven with your music. Some of you are thinking, where in the world are you getting that in the text? Well, I'll show you, actually. <clears throat> when you look at verses one through eight, in the modern day, if I had to pick one thing that becomes very divisive in different churches, it's preference. And a lot of times it shows up in the music, but not just music, it's I want things done my way. And because every single one of us are created in the image of God and we are made differently, which is a good thing, we all have different preferences. A a fun example would be if we all gathered around during the lunch and everybody shared what music you listened to this past week. It would probably be a fascinating conversation in this room of all the different kinds of music maybe we listen to. That's actually something to celebrate. The problem is, is when we bring those kinds of preferences into our church and say, you have to do it exactly the way I want to do this. But actually what this is talking about is that we, we find the things that the gospel unites us on. And the content that we sing in, in our music, in these services, is what we are united around. I mean, think of what we sang today. All of us have different preferences of of music, but every single one of us who are followers of Jesus, I assume we are all in agreement when we sang, our sins are many, but his mercy is more. We all probably agreed and and found a, a, a wonderful encouragement in that precious truth. To bring generations together, to bring different cultures together, different kinds of people together. We have to be united around the truth of what we sing. And we have to lay aside preferences out of love for one another. That's true with with music, but it's also true with with everything else that happens in the church. Let truth, let the content of what we sing to God and sing actually in testimony to each other. That's how God will bring us together. Number four, way you can pursue this design. Embrace all kinds of people in your church. I'm convinced that's the best way to interpret verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, true, all kinds of people in this particular context. 
Why is this important? Why, look at verses 9 and 10 again with me. That, why is the, are those two verses so important? Because it rounds out this idea that all kinds of different people need to come together and need to be welcomed in the local church. And one of the reasons this is so important is if we read the book of Revelation, we see the eternal picture is that every tribe and tongue and people and nation, people from all of those places, will be gathered around the throne worshiping Christ. When we gather together like this in this moment, it's a foretaste of what our heavenly reality will be one day. Where people from all different places around the world, different cultures and tribes and tongues, will come together and we will all be unified around worshiping Christ. And we get a little taste of that here as we have people around us who are different than us. Embrace all kinds of people in your church. That means embracing anybody who walks through those doors on a Sunday morning, regardless on who they are or where they come from. But that you, because of your commitment to Christ and that you follow Him and you're being transformed by the Holy Spirit, that you would truly love anybody who would walk through those doors. And God will build this church around loving anybody who comes through just like that. Last one, number five. Way you pursue this design. Trust in the power of the gospel to unite you. Trust in the power of the gospel to unite you. Look down one more time at verses 11 through 14 with me. This is the essence of what truly unites all these different groups together. And this is probably best captured through a work day that we did in our church many years ago. I don't know if you have these. We have something called a work day at our church. We did it a couple times a year. On a Saturday morning, we would all meet together at the church, the whole church. We'd have all these projects to do. We had a big, beautiful building, but it was a lot of work to take care of it. And so we would meet together and go do all these projects. There were three people in particular who showed up at this work day. One man called Mike. Mike was 30 years old. He was single And he was a student in Louisville, Kentucky, where I live. And he is from Glasgow, Scotland. And sounded like he was from Glasgow, Scotland. And he comes into this this church in Kentucky. And you could imagine he sounded quite different from everybody else. And that was okay. People embraced that. Mike came that day and he actually had some experience working as, as somebody who trimmed bushes and landscaping in Scotland where he lived before he came over as a student. So he came to me and said, hey, I have some experience with this. I'd love to go work in the shrubs and the trees. We have a a lot of trees and shrubs around the church that are beautiful, but require a lot of upkeep. So Mike wanted to spend his time out there. I said, great. Two other people came to the workday who also wanted to work in the shrubs and the trees and the bushes. They're They're called Howard and May. Howard and May were in their 80s. They'd been members of the church for 50 years. Howard was a deacon, a longtime deacon in our church. They wanted to go work outside with all the trees and shrubs as well. You know why? They planted most of those trees and shrubs over the last 50 years, so naturally they're going to want to go work outside. Now, I was a little concerned because Mike, as a professional, had done this before. He knew what he was doing. I wasn't sure how well he would take instruction from anybody about this. And let's just say that May, in particular, loves to give instructions on how the shrubs and the trees should be, planted, should be trimmed in the church. So you're with me. I sent them out anyways. Let's see what happens. They go out and they work all day. And by the way, I should say, Howard and May have lived in Kentucky their whole life. So they're not from Scotland, like Mike is. 
And they go out and work together, spend all morning. We all come in for lunch, and Mike comes to me and says, hey, I've got to go, but I'd love to walk outside with you and show you what we did. So we walk outside. And he talks me through all the work they did. And he just went on and on about how much he loved working with Howard and May outside. Because he said, we'd go, we'd be trimming this bush and May would be telling me of all the wonderful things happening in the church 20 years ago when that shrub got planted. Then they'd go trim this tree over here, and she'd say, these are all the fights happening in the church like 30 years ago when this tree was being planted. And he said he just got this uh, wonderful history lesson of the whole church that he had never heard before in working with them. So he loved working with them. But I hadn't talked to May just yet. Not until the next morning, right before church, May comes up to me, and she has a big smile on her face, and she says, boy, I like that Mike. He is a good worker. I have no idea what he is saying, but he, I like him a lot. Let me ask you a question. Do you see the power of the gospel at work in that? Two people, different age, different gender, different generation, different nationality, different economic status. And I assure you, they all could find plenty of things to dislike about each other. But they were united on two things and two things only. Their love for Jesus and their love for our church. And with spiritual eyes that only God through the Spirit of God can give, they were able to look upon the other, see the value of the other, and celebrate one another and care for each other. So friends, my encouragement to you is you need each other. You need each other to proclaim the gospel to this community and to the world. The more different you are at Great Vic Baptist Church, the more people around you and non-Christians who walk in here will be puzzled. Why are all you people together? And you're able to share the one thing that unites you. So two final encouragements to you. Number one, do you see God is at work here? You see it. See, I see it, and this is my first time here. See, I don't have to meet each one of you to know that God's at work because when I see this is God's good design is that there's old and young and men and women and the representative of bond servants and masters that's here, I look out and I, I see it all. See, a lot of times we measure whether God's at work around how many people are at the church or how much money we have, but I don't see that anywhere here. What I do see is how God's bringing a people together, described right here. God's at work here. Be encouraged by that. Celebrate that. This is the blueprint to know if God's at work. Number two, how have you been challenged maybe to respond to the word of God today? Remember I mentioned before, all of you will fall into one of these categories or maybe even a few of them. How has maybe God moved on your heart to maybe take a risk to step out? If you're an older member of this church, it might be, you know, there's this younger person I've really wanted to meet and get to know, but they're just kind of scary. I'm not sure that I want to do that. Maybe take that risk. Or a younger person, maybe you have thought, maybe oh, none of these older folks can teach me anything. Maybe, maybe the Spirit of God is at work showing you maybe you're wrong. And for you to find an, an older member to pursue and get to know. This may be challenging you to, to go talk to your neighbor who you've been avoiding because they are so different than you. But maybe that's how God would challenge you to go and, 
and to meet them and pursue them because the goal is to bring in all kinds of different people, whoever that may be, that God would want to call to be in this place. So let me take a moment and pray for each of you and how God might work in that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I praise your name that you are indeed at work here. The evidence is undeniable. So Lord, I thank you for that. It's a work only you do through the power of your spirit at work when the gospel is preached and your word is proclaimed. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for the long-term older members here whom have persevered and shown a great loyalty of which without this church would not still be here. So thank you for them. Lord, thank you for younger who have come desiring to want to use their life well in pursuing Christ and serving in a local church that needs them. So Lord, thank you for the way you're at work. Would you move in our hearts to one, encourage us to be a part of your work. What a great privilege. But Lord, would you move and challenge each heart here maybe to take a step of faith to fulfill this design in their own life. And I ask, Lord, you would continue to build this church powerfully through the preaching of the gospel, through the transformed, transforming of sinners. We ask all this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you very much, Brian. Well, there's a new hymn we've been learning over the last few weeks, and uh, it is a perfect way for us to respond. It is, there is one gospel, and reflects how this is what we unite around together. So let's respond by standing together to sing.